We are back for another Codex Cantina episode, which is just two guys talking literature, trying to make sense of it. Now, we spend a lot of time pushing ourselves, trying to understand this literature, organizing it, and then bringing it to a conversational approach for how we deliver it. And we've absolutely put more money in it than we've gotten out of it. So if you guys are considering supporting this channel, we'd appreciate you checking out our Patreon link at patreon.com slash the Codex Cantina, as well as Ko-Fi of ko-fi.com slash the Codex Cantina. It all helps us in running the show, along with commercials, guys. So thank you so much. We're going to do a quick commercial break, and then we'll get on with the rest of the episode. And welcome to the Codex Cantina, where we dive back in to Edogawa Rampo, a master of horror, does he pull it off with this story today? Let's talk about it coming up. The Codex Cantina. Woo! Welcome back to the Codex Cantina if you've been here before. If this is your first time, we take a conversational approach to literature where we think discussing is the only way to bring out some of the essences behind the words on the page. And as always, we start off with publication information. The Caterpillar was first published in 1929. It was actually banned at one point. That's right, in 1939 with the breakout of the Second Sino-Japanese War. Exactly. So this story deals with some heavy body horror involving an incapacitated war veteran, and probably this was, you know, very much feeling of an anti-war sediment to it, and our version is translated by James B. Harris. Now, my name is Una, and I was blown away by his first story, The Human Chair. We needed to check out more about what Edogawa Rampo had to say, and also that is a pen name, his real name being Taro Hidai. Now, hold on, because you can say it really, really fast, because you have the cool enunciation, and I can't, and I'll make a fool of myself more than usual. I want you to say it really, really fast, his name over and over and over again. Edogawa Rampo, Edogawa Rampo, Edogawa Rampo. <laughs> Do you hear it? It's so cool that that's, it's Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> so let's go through a quick plot summary, and then we will jump into our discussion and analysis on this one. So for plot, the story focuses on the couple Tokiko and Lieutenant Tsunaga. They live in a detached cottage owned by their old wartime Major General Washio. One night, while at the Major General Washio's house, Washio lauds Tokiko's devotion to her husband, who had been severely injured during the war. He had been left with no arms, no vocal cords, no legs. He is described as a lump of flesh. Even in the prime of her youth, Washio is impressed how she dedicates her livelihood to him. But for how long, he asks. She views it as her duty as the wartime wife. Now, over time, Tokiko becomes tired of the old man peppering them with his praises, and soon she begins trying to avoid him. Because you see, Tokiko has grown resentful of the lump of flesh that is her husband. At first, she enjoyed the praise, but now finds it exhausting. After spending several hours out, she returns home to find her husband fallen on the floor, beating his head against the floor to gain her attention. She helps lift him up and lights a lamp in the room. He communicates to her via a pencil in his mouth drawing on a pad of paper. He asks her if she is tired of him. She kisses him, but merely as her own way to placate him. Tokiko recalls coming to the hospital to meet him after the war. Otherwise, were jealous of him. They thought she must be lucky for her husband to survive the war. Little did they know the quality of life that he has with his injuries. They barely could survive on his pension, so they moved in with Major General Washio. Tokiko soon grew to view her husband as a plaything. She also became avaricious 
and was infected by her husband's greed of eating anything. She hated how she frequently woke up in the middle of the night only to find him staring at the ceiling. She mounted him in frustration, and she she stared at him as his only means of communication. I really should work on my tense when I'm doing these. (laughs) She is filled with anger and pokes his eyes out uh, with her fingers. She became paralyzed with fears, realizing what she had done and runs down the road to the county doctor. Country doctor. County doctor? I probably mistyped that too. (laughs) The doctor rushes over to treat him, had never seen him, and is shocked and leaves them as quickly as he can. She spends the next day coddling her husband, laying in bed with, you know, writing with her finger on his chest, forgive me. She rushes to General Washio to tell him what happened, and when they return, they find the man is missing. He's nowhere in the cottage. Behind, he has left a pencil scrawling on the door that says, I forgive you, and he has disappeared. Presumed that he has committed suicide. Down the well he goes, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. Very, oof, this story, it it's another tough one. It's one of those that is a, a horror story, but not in your traditional 21st century horror. I think Rompo writes in a way that either he's going to get you with the emotions or it might fall a little flat, is, is my sense um, as to whether the stories work for you or not. For this one, I, what I like about Tokiko is that her... The way she comes off in this story is she's a little bit of the best of humanity and a little bit of the worst. Like we see both sides of her where she's dedicating her life to others, to taking care of her husband, right? But then she also resents him for it and holds it against him and abuses him. So we see, I think, a kind of a fickle nature in her is one of the things that I noticed in this story. The way I looked at this was that a lot of times... We, we take care of people who can't really take care of themselves, but then we end up resenting them because they can't care for themselves. And I think her husband is a little bit on both sides too, right? We have that quote, those round eyes of his, which comprised his only expressive organ, speaking so sadly sometimes, and sometimes so angrily. So one of the things I noticed about this is that whenever characters were doing something, it always started with emotions. And when we think about that, her hatred awakened. Like, there's so many parts in the story where first it describes the emotion. And, you know, you hear these quotes where you say sometimes, like, you can't control who you fall in love with. I think we see a little bit of that in this story, too, where you can't control your emotions per se. You can control how you react to them. But here, what I notice is these characters are using their emotions as excuses to behave the way that they are, right? Because she's angry, she's going to make this guy's life worse. She's going to torment him, gouge out his eyes as, as a way of bringing him down to feel just as miserable as she does. And the other thing about emotions too is that we are reactive, like you said, but every time there is an emotion, there has to be an action for someone to have an emotion. Usually we just don't have emotions. We have them because something we've done to someone else or something that is done to us. And in this story, it's really only her that is having these emotions because we can't understand what is happening emotionally really with the lieutenant because he has no words all she is is interpreting she's our only window into his life and his only window is his eyes really and this few little scrawling words that we know he forgives her but that's it you know you bring up a really interesting point i i we we weren't going to talk about this but 
the idea of emotions being something that are a reaction to others around us. You know, you think about these movies such as, you know, if you look at Alien Covenant, when the opening scene is, you know, the person's trying to entertain himself after years of cryo sleep. You, know, you see that in any kind of sci-fi movie where there's one person that's manning a ship while everyone else is asleep, right? Or Castaway, right, with Tom Hanks. You have him trying to find emotions and he stirs it up with Wilson, the ball, right? Like he is looking for that sense of feeling. And sometimes to your point, I never thought about this, but we get feelings out of that reaction with others. And here's Rampo who's highlighting how these two characters are 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 water and fire oil and water like oil they and don't vinegar mix. oil and yeah. fire <laughs> yeah oil and fire yeah, oil and fire sure like <laughs> things get real <laughs> explosive in the story but they do yeah. have this strong reaction and the problem is that these emotions are used as excuses for why they enact certain things and i think that's kind of like the saddest part about this is you have this guy that can't take care of himself he's relying on her in her moments of weakness which we have as human beings come too often and they come at the expense of diminishing his own life. And I think that's, that's, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. I mean, what does she do when she finally succumbs to her emotions is she takes away the only way that he really has left to express his emotions. She robs him of that by, you know, when she gouges out his eyes so that it really kind of is that back to that idea that you said at the beginning, that she is kind of the worst of us that we do sometimes take advantage or we we take away other people's emotions. Well, I, I didn't think about this, but did he get revenge in some sense? Because if you rob someone of their emotions in a sense where they're unable to react, we talked about being alone and lonely as a way to do that. When when she does that to him and he gets revenge on her by killing himself or disappearing per se, He's now robbing her of those highs as well, as well as the lows. So he wanted to stop her pain, I think is how I interpreted him forgiving her and running away. But he also is thus the, to the point of loneliness and needing others to maybe perhaps have strong emotions is robbing her of the joy too. I hadn't really thought about that, but that might be an interesting thing to think about as well. As a caregiver, if the person you care for is no longer there to care for, she has lost her purpose in life, that's got to be detrimental. And feeling depressed is one of the most debilitating emotions that a person could have. It can be crippling. And he was crippled, and now he has crippled her emotionally through being depressed by not being able to be a caregiver anymore. So here's a question. Maybe this one's an easy one. Why do you think they called this story the caterpillar? (laughs) I think because the guy kind of looks like a caterpillar. I mean, in my mind, I'm imagining, you know, not maybe a caterpillar, but one of those little roly polies. And I know this is horrible to think about of like a human being that has gone through this horrible physical violence and loss of all their limbs, just laying on the ground, wiggling and just the wife staring over him with this morbid look on her face. I think he kind of nailed it of what we would be like in that situation. We're not really able to express ourselves. I wonder, too, we pick on roly-polies. We punch them so that they roll open to the balls, their own defense mechanism. Caterpillars are literally defenseless, and even butterflies can be ripped to shreds. Like, they're literally at our mercy. And that's kind of what this husband was to his wife, right? He was completely defenseless and relied upon her, in a sense, too. It's kind of sad. And then he even had the greed of, of wanting to continue to eat 
Um, and the way that, you know, we do sometimes have to take care of things, she grew resentful of that. So I think, you know, maybe it's a little bit obvious, but I think it's worth discussing that that is kind of a, a very appropriate way, I feel like, to have named the stories, the caterpillar, and to have given him these caterpillar-like characteristics. And the way that it says in the story is that his belly was glossy and bulging, and in fact, the man was just like a large yellow caterpillar. The visual there really is telling of how she felt about him because that's the way that she's looking down upon and viewing him. All right, so last quote I want to talk about is, This thing that lay before her was indeed a living creature. He had lungs and a stomach as well as a heart. Nevertheless, he could not see anything. He could not hear anything. He could not speak a word. He had no limbs. His world was a bombless pit of perpetual silence and boundless darkness. Who could imagine such a terrible world? How'd that quote land up on you? When people say those quotes in movies all the time, you know, well, you could die. Well, there's things worse than death. This is what they're talking about when they say there are things worse than death. One thing I noticed, hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil, right? And in the middle of this quote, we have the, he could not see anything. He could not hear anything. He could not speak a word. And I wonder what that term means in terms of if we apply the hear no evil, speak no evil, see no evil. I said that out of order. (laughs) How do we apply that to the story? So is she enacting her revenge upon him and then he enacts the revenge upon her because she's evil? He's evil? We really didn't talk a lot about maybe what is her mental state here? I mean, it has to be feeling some type of burden on her. Uh, that that's tough. I know that there's a quote from the story that I was very confused about where it says the cripple kissed with such passion withered in the agony of being unable to breathe and distorted his face oddly as always this sight excited Tokiko strangely. I don't know. It, it leaves me a little bit perplexed. I wonder, um, I think that term I'm not 100% sure how it trans. I think it does come from Japan. Uh, not 100% sure on that, but I think it comes from Buddhist tenets with the idea of evil is something that can st- stay upon you. It can it can be upon you, especially if you give it power and you think about it, uh, and, and even worse, if you enact it. So what is one of the ways that you can cleanse yourself of evil? Don't do any evil. Well, to avoid those thoughts, to avoid those things. And here is Tokiko, who's coming upon these desires and feelings of anger. What she would need to do is to learn to let go of those things and focus on other things. I don't know. I'm not 100% sure exactly, you know, maybe people have different teachings for that. But I think that's something that we need to think about, is when you know that you're doing something wrong, or you know that something isn't right, how do you react to it? How do you cleanse yourself of those evil thoughts or those emotions that are popping up? You can't stop the emotions, but you can control how you react to them. And isn't that part of what Tokiko's problem is and maybe one of the morals that we can learn from this story? And maybe that's the the husband truly did love her. He wasn't getting revenge, but he was removing himself from a situation that he knew was bringing out the worst in his wife and that she truly wasn't that person and that he is allowing her to be evil. We never know what the caterpillar is thinking, do we, Crypto? (laughs) No, we do not. We do not until it turns into a butterfly and soars. All right, guys. We're going to leave a Rampo uh, playlist down below. We have his Moju story coming up in October sometime. I think we're going to cover one of his uh, longer novella horror stories and see what we think about that one. Let's move into our subjective wrap-up and ratings. What are you going to give this one? 
I, I do you want to give this one a number? I I just feel like these very graphic, violent horror stories. I feel bad giving them numbers because some people will read this and be mystified how somebody could enjoy it, and then there are other people that this is their genre, this is their niche, and they they'd be like, this has to be a ten out of ten. I just don't feel like a story like this can be encapsulated by a single digit number on a 10 scale. I think that is, again, one of those that you're going to enjoy. If you like this type of writing, um, you like this genre. And if not, you're going to hate something like this, the the graphic nature of it and the very sad ending of it. Uh, so I think it's one that if you like Edgar Allan Poe, if you like Rampo, then you'll enjoy it. If not, then this might not be for you. I would agree that this is definitely not a story that is going to easily resonate with everyone. Like the human chair. Oh, like that one was just something else. This is a good story. Oh, I like say that. It. Every time you it, say the word, it gets me. <laughs> this is a good story. But but it, to your point, I, I think it's one that might be a little bit difficult for some people to absorb. So maybe if we were giving it the novel rating. Right. So if we pretend this was a novel, uh, this would be one where I recommend it with provisions and trigger warnings. It's, it's kind of I think where it falls. I agree. I think that that is a perfect way of, to rate it if it's in that category. All right, guys. Well, thank you for spending some time with us today. What did you think of this story? Let us know your thoughts in the comments section down below. If you made it this far and enjoyed the conversation but aren't sure what to add to it, you know, feel free to leave us a little monkey emoji. If you can have it covering its eyes, that would be even more entertaining to me. So <laughs> I don't even know if that emoji cover its ears. Exists. <laughs> or mouth. All right, guys, hit that subscribe button. We post videos every Monday and Thursday. We look forward to talking to you and hearing from you on the journey. Una out. Peace.